what if there were a fountain of youth pill that could add decades to your life? Would you take it? Unlocking the Fountain is a podcast about the mysteries of aging and the scientific quest to slow, stop, or even reverse it. When do you think we're going to have the first 150-year-old? I think that person's already alive. Unlocking the Fountain. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. That's not rock and roll. That's not real hip-hop. That's not jazz. You've heard people say that about new music before, right? Well, when David Rudder was coming up as a young artist, he got that a lot about his take on Calypso. The old guard didn't get what he was doing. And then he went on to become one of the most important voices in Calypso and Soca. David just celebrated his 70th birthday and will walk you through his amazing career. I'm Talia Schlanger, sitting in for Tom Power. You're listening to Q. All right, that's a bit of training to the bone from musician David Rudder. David is one of the most loved and respected voices in Calypso and Soca. Earlier this year, he turned 70 years old, and what you're hearing right now is a clip from this birthday show he played in his homeland of Trinidad and Tobago. It was a big show, a long show, where he played a bunch of his hits, but it was also bittersweet. In the weeks leading up to that show, David Rudder revealed that he had been diagnosed with Parkinson's disease and that his 70th birthday performance would be his last at that big a scale. David joined Tom Power recently to talk about his career and about his rise as an artist. Here's their conversation. How are you? I'm good. It's a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to have you. What do you remember about that concert? That I made it, um, <laughs> number one, but my daughter who, who, who sings like a, an angel. Yeah. And that's, that, that, that concert, she, she, she was one of my background vocalists. So just seeing her for the entire show behind me, you know, that was like a very very powerful moment for me to see you there. How long were you on stage? Five hours. See, this this blows my mind, David. Five hours on stage. Yeah. The only person I know who do, who, persons I know who do five hour long, hour long shows is Bruce Springsteen and um, the guy who wrote American Pie. Tom McLean. He's a, he's a marathon singer also. Yeah, but I, but I tell you one thing. Bruce Springsteen's 70-odd now, and from what I hear, he's, he's shortened it down to like two and a half hours, three hours. You're still going with the five-hour shows. Yeah, but this is the last one. You never know. If, if, things, if things, things turn the corner tomorrow, I might change my mind. But right now, it's, it's the last. That's why I gave everything I, I had, you know. Yeah. How do you feel after a five-hour show? Lifted, because... Um, People are going away feeling like they're floating, and that's what my that's that's like my achievement. You know, I got them to float and fly and feel good about themselves. You know. How do you make sure you don't get tired when you do a five-hour show? You get tired two days after. <laughs> <laughs> we went, we went on, for the first time in my life. I went. They had, we went to the after party. They had an after party, so you never normally go to the after no, party. No, but this is the first time. Yeah. The entire family was there, and um, it was, it was my, my friend Carl Jacobs, he has a nightclub in town. 
So he said, why don't you guys come across? And, you know, the same way Calypso is just spontaneous sometimes. That after party was spontaneous, so it was beautiful. Um, I thought what we could do today, since you're not just a legend of Calypso and a legend of Soka, but you're a real student of the history as well, mm. I thought what we could do today is sort of listen to some music together and, and you can kind of talk me talk me through it and we could talk a little bit about how your rise as a musician was also the rise of Soka. And I wanna I wanna play you this song right now. Take a listen to this. That is the late Rashordiai with a song called Shantiyom. Rashordiai considered the father of soca music. The song came out in 1978. What do you think was driving his vision for soca at that time? I think um, the society, people, people, people change music. Generations change it. Uh, um, you do and create things. I think it's there. And then you reflect. The artist reflects what the generation thinks. So the, each era has a, its own song. And we were coming out of the Black Power era. We, were, we identified with what was happening in Harlem and in Watts in, in, in America. Black Power means dignity. It means we're going to walk side by side with you or through you. We're going to be with dignity and integrity. We don't want any more than you have, and we're not going to accept any less than you have. That's Black Power. So... There was also the same unrest in Trinidad. And there had to be some music to, to sort of reflect that. And um, we were listening to soul music from the States at the time. And there was, a few, that, that, there was a sense of a fusion of soul and calypso. That's where the word soca came about, S-O-C-A. First two letters of soul and two letters of, of, of calypso. And um, the first song that reflected this this mood was Ra Shorty singing Endless Vibration. Change the accent of carnival to a groovy, groovy bacchanal Wailing, expressing the old feeling who needs changing Wake up, people, examine your minds Get with it, get with it, the change of the times it's a new generation, endless vibrations. Right on, right on. Right on. He used a lot of American idioms in the song. Um, right on, can you dig it, brother? Get it all together. All the black American uh, language language patterns came into play with this new, new song. Calypso was like, doom, 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 doom. And when Soka came about, it got a more, 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 more rhythmic. Doom, doom, good doom, doom, good doom, doom, good doom, doom. Yeah. I, I, was, I was present for all these things because I was working in the recording studio at that time, free, a freelance background vocalist. And um, so I was able to hear the new songs emerging. And, and um, Shorty was definitely the, 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 the man who started the, the, the baller rolling, as we should say. So you were saying Calypso, it's, it's a little, it was a little straighter. You were almost doing like something I'd associate with like a, a jazz bass, like the doom, yeah, doom, yeah, yeah. doom, 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 yeah, doom, doom, doom. The, the old Calypsonians always take whatever form of music um, is going wrong in the world. If it's bebop, you would hear a bebop 
song to the Calypso. If it's um, Latin, there was a Latin period and it was a Latin song to the Calypso, but the Calypso always absorbs these new vibrations and send them back out to the people in a different form. So, but when Soka came about, people started to dance more. Yeah. And the lyrics started to change to dance, let's dance, let's have a good time. And that's where the whole idea of wind your body and shake your body down to the ground and let's party, put your hand in the air. Did, did the old Calypso, Calypsonians, did they, were, were they resistant to Soka coming in? Yeah, yes. Every, every generation, sort of like, when, I, when, I, when Marshall came, he was too young to Soka. When I, I emerged at the same time, I am not a, I'm not a real singer. I don't have a Calypso name. You got you. That was people said that to you. Yes, the Calypsonians were, were, were the generation was stubborn. For cha- you know, I was a symbol of change. What is this new music? Why are these people yeah. en- enjoying this music? So this is strange to us. But you had. I'm surprised that they would be like doubtful of you because you had your bona fides. I mean, you were not just a recording studio, but you were singing background for Lord Kitchener, like yes. one of the most important Calypso. Artists of all time. Kitchener Sparrow, all, all, the, all the great guys. We, we sang for, for both, all of them. But um, the thing is, singing for them on a, on a recording, in a recording studio, and, and singing on stage with them, and grabbing the crowd even more powerfully than they ever did, that's where the trouble came in. You know? uh, <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. All of a sudden, you had the audience in a yeah. way that maybe the earlier Calypso, uh, Calypsonians didn't have. Yeah, you know? and the thing is that I, I, that year I, I won the Young Kings, which is like a, a, a competition for up-and-coming up, up people. Yeah. I won that. I won the Road March, which was the most popular song. Yeah. First and second, I won Calypso Monarch, the winning steel band played my song. So no, that has never happened in the history of music in Trinidad or anywhere, you know? So that was like, what is, what people decided, what is going on? Some people loved it. Yeah. And some people couldn't, couldn't stand it. Let, let's talk about that. Let's listen to some music. Take a listen to this. She had me in heaven. She had your boy in hell. What that two man do to me? I just couldn't tell. All I know is she ring me bell with this. Bim, 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 baby, the that's a bit of Bahia Girl from my guest David Rudder. So in 1986, you released two massive solo records for Trinidad Carnival. Your career is never quite the same. That's that's one of them right there. That song and another single, The Hammer, you, you were just mentioning this kind of time in your life. Yeah. It makes you the first artist to win three of the major Calypso titles of Trinidad's Carnival season. You were just talking to me a little bit about that time. When all of that was happening, when you were really taken off, what do you remember feeling around that time? I had written that song, those, uh, by a girl for Crazy, another Calypsodian, and uh, he didn't he didn't take the song, so I, I decided to do it um, do it because I said this is this song has something in it, you know there's some kind of magic in this song that you have to let it be and see where it goes, yeah. And so set so done the, the entire country wherever you pass. And that's that period. That's all the sing, pim, 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 baby. You know, it was like, what is? It was what is, this has never happened before in Trinidad, or anywhere. You know, that country like rallied around the song like that. So that that sort of created a lot of anxiety. That's where the anxiety came about. From. You had you, you, the anxiety with the older Calypsonians. Right, right. But how did you feel? Were you 
I mean, were you, were you a celebrity overnight? Like, what did your life change? My life changed. People started to call. Warner Brothers started to call. Eddie Grant started to call. London Records called. To me, I was just, I'm so glad that the song made people happy. But now it's gone beyond that. Something has changed. Something has definitely changed here, you know? That was quite interesting. Let's, let's talk about, um, my God, the, the artist you wrote it for must have regretted not recording it. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> if I was him, I'd be some upset. Um, you, you mentioned this earlier. I want to make sure I get this right. So two of the three titles you made history winning that year were The Road March and The Calypso Monarch. One is the sort of the critical acclaim, like people who know songs and people who like judge songs based on songs. Right. That's the monarch, the Calypso Monarch. You yeah. win that, that's great. Yeah. But then The Road March is just what people want to play, yeah. what people want to play in the street yes. during Carnival, what people want to hear, yeah. what people want to march to. Yeah. I mean, that's wild to win the both of those. And I understand. So then that's 86. And then in 87, this, this happens. Calypso. That is Calypso music from my guest, legendary singer and songwriter David Rudder. It's a great honor to have him in the studio to talk a little bit uh, about about his journey. The song came out in 1987. So why in 1987? Like, what was happening in 87 that made you want to, at this stage, write an ode to Calypso music? Because the entire old 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 garden said he's not singing Calypso. He, uh. he does, what does he know about Calypso? That that song he sang last year that was a Calypso. And there's a Calypso who's actually in the competition the following year, in 87. He said, sing Rambam. It's a song called Sing Rambam. And, sing, and so the, the, the kind of the old guard is making fun of you for having these sort of like words. Yeah, it sounds like nonsense to them. You know? Yeah. And then, so you write an ode to Calypso music to be like, hey, I know my thing. I know what, what I'm doing. So I'm saying, let me, let me write a song about the music they say I don't know about, Calypso music. Wow. It turns out people say, no, no, that's my best song, you know? So you're saying that in, in the evolution of Soka that was happening at the time, there were, it was kind of going one way, and you were willing to go the other way and make it sound different. Right. And I didn't do it deliberately. That was just my vibe. It was just different, and it, it, it fell into place. The fact that Crazy didn't take the song. All of these things, all these elements, just, it was a sweet space, you know? Everything fell into that sp- sweet space, and... The rest is history. But what did you want it to sound like? What, when Soka was happening, it was still sort of a nascent, like, early genre of music. Yeah. What did you want Soka to sound like? I just wanted people to, 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 to dance. Because I sang with a, a Soka band, I knew what it could do to make people dance. So it was just to transform what I already knew, put it in, put it in, put it in song, and let's, let's, let's see, let the people judge. And... I came out guilty. <laughs> you were guilty of, uh, of changing everything and getting everybody to That's right. the same. Right. Let's let's listen to some more music. Take a listen to this. That is a little bit of high mass from my guest, David Rudder, favorite of David Rudder fans, all generations. Tell me about this song. 
this song was written about written when I was about nine years old, or more less less than that. Um, I used to, I had to, my school was Belmont Boys RC Roman Catholic School, so we always had to attend mass, and um, there was a, this drone that that the priest used. Dominus vobis cum ex Amen. I went to mass too, man. I know that. For yeah, years. Know. And yeah, for sure. But that song was was sleeping there for years. And then one day I said, you know what? Let me do this song. Let me do it. And it was one of those things that, like sweet moments again, where my, my band leader started a riff with a guitar, the guitar riff, which is like, I always tell people that guitar riff now is like the saxophone in uh, Baker Street. Yeah. You know, there are certain things that you, you never forget. Yeah. Speaking of Catholicism and being, you know, being raised in the, going to the Catholic school and all that, um, I heard that you were baptized three different times. Yeah. Three is it three different religions? Yeah. My mother was uh, was Anglican, so I was baptized as an Anglican. Yeah. But my grandmother was a spiritual Baptist. That's where I learned the chant from. That's how they, that's how they, they, they worship in, the, in African Baptist. Yeah. And then to, I couldn't go into the Catholic school unless I was a Catholic. So they rebaptized me to get me into the Catholic school. <laughs> I didn't know you could be rebaptized at all. Yeah, no, so, yeah. so that's... that's <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know you got another shot at it. That's Trinidad. <laughs> Um, how are you feeling about soca right now? I mean, soca and, and carnival music have never been more popular than they are right now. Are there places that soca hasn't gone creatively that you'd like it to go? I don't know. I, I, every time I turn somewhere here, I'm, I'm here in soca. They're not, call, they're not calling it soca, but it's soca music, you know. Um, it's just quite interesting, especially you know, with the emergence of Afrobeat. When I went to Nigeria, I heard this Afrobeat thing a couple of years ago. I said, but that's like African soca. It's songs, you know, there's something about it, you know. So it um it penetrates, it's, pe- it's, it's penetrating a lot of societies all around the world, but it's not doing it from the conventional way, like trying to make the billboard charts and things. It's just me, it means me, Trinidad has, there's about over 100 carnivals around the world on the Trinidad model of carnival. And the music is, travels with that, that crowd. So it comes from a different angle. So, you know, if you go to Europe, they have Trinidad parties, Trinidad style parties, Japan, Switzerland, you know, mm. all over, all over. And it's, it's, just, it's just interesting. We never do things the conventional way. Somebody gets signed to a major label and then they go, and then more people get signed. It's just, right. the music is popular, but it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a sort of underground. One of the best shows of the year, according to Apple, Amazon and Time, is back for another round. This season, we're diving deep into some of McCartney's most beloved songs. Yesterday, Band on the Run, Hey Jude. And McCartney's favourite song in his entire catalogue, Here, There and Everywhere. Listen to Season 2 of McCartney, A Life in Lyrics on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All 
I want to close off by just talking briefly about about how you're doing. Um, obviously, the Parkinson's diagnosis made made news here in mm. I mean all over the world, including here in Canada. And you mentioned just then you're still you're still writing all the time. And I know we mentioned it the earlier. You're still singing and performing. I mean, a little bit. Are still performing? Is is yes? Is, yeah, I'm still performing. What's the biggest adjustment you've had to make as a, as an artist working and performing with um, Parkinson's? I had to stop, slow down quite a bit. Like, I would be up and down the stage, into the, into the audience, you know, um, back up on stage. No, I just stand and deliver, you know. Um, I try to keep active. The, the problem with keeping active is that when I have to travel for eight, ten hours on a flight to Europe, sitting in one position, that that's, that that um, takes away a lot from me. You know? I have to find a place, a gym, to kind of put myself back into rhythm and so on. So it's it's a learning process, but but I'm doing okay so far. The exercise helps, doesn't it? Yes. I, I talked to Michael J. Fox one time, um, who has Parkinson's, like the actor. Maybe yes. Yeah. And he, um, I asked him that same question. I said, like, what's been the adjust, biggest adjustment that you've had to make in your, in your career, you know? And he said, like, he said something like, it's knowing that there, he said, I never used to think about this, but I know now there's going to come a day when I, I won't be able to perform anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I always thought I would, I'd, um, I'd perform for the rest of my life. I remember one time I was watching an African artist called Papa Wemba. And in the middle of a song on in a big concert, he just dropped to the ground, and he was he was dead. And it was like there was the news: Papa Wimba collapses and, and dies on stage. That's what I thought for myself, you know. Now I have to sort of like just take it as it comes, one day at a time. Well, I hope we're. Uh, I mean, I I hope we're still pretty far away from there because I hope so too. Yeah. I think I think I feel I feel good. I feel good. And my, yeah, my, you seem good. My mom is going to be one hundred and two years old this year. She's still with us. Yes, yeah, still with us. My fam. My, I have a longevity in my family, so. But I don't want to be living the rest of my life, but just holding on. You know? Yeah. You don't, you don't want that. No. Um, it's been a pleasure to have you. Before we let you go. Uh, this interview is going to be airing the Friday of Toronto's uh, Caribbean Carnival celebrations. As a legendary musician who, like the song, is Trinity to the Bone, what is one carnival tradition you can't live without? Juve. Tell me about that. It's the, it's the opening of the carnival, the opening of, the, of the, the morning of the carnival. Yeah. People gather from about two in the morning, and they wait for the, the opening of the day, the Juve. That's for the light to come over Lavantil Hills. The first light of the morning, which we call four-day morning. And once we see that light, that is the mark that a new dawn is on, on, on us here, a new carnival, a new farewell to the flesh, a new affir- affirmation of the magic and might of this little society called Trinidad and Tobago, you know? And I've lived to see shows with people going to carnival and talking about juve and whining, I said, look, you know, we exported the steel band already. Mm. Now we exported Juve, mm. and we exported the wood wine. Mm. That's, not, that's not bad. <laughs> <laughs> David, lovely to have you here. Congrats on, congrats on everything, and thanks for, thanks for coming, and lovely to meet you. Thanks for having me here. Islands in the sun Islands 
That's a soca classic called Trini to the Bone from music legend David Rudder. Before that, you heard Tom Powers' conversation with David. I love that warm sunrise feeling he described. Uh, and hey, if you're in Toronto or in a 100-kilometer radius of Toronto looking for something to do this long weekend, the Toronto Caribbean Festival is on. It's the largest Caribbean festival in North America. A ton of events happening all weekend long. That's it for this episode of the podcast, but you can find another episode in your feed right now. Okay, picture this. You are standing in front of tens of thousands of sweaty people dancing. You've been up all night. You just flew in from across the country and you are praying that your computer does not crash. That is the life of uh, superstar DJ, in particular, superstar DJ Rez. Uh, She'll talk to Tom Power about playing really truly in front of tens of thousands of people and learning a thing or two about work-life balance, about burnout, and about learning to say no. Oh boy. I'm Talia Schlanger, sitting in for Tom Power. I'll see you next time. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.